You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday evening. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. Good to be back. It's been a couple weeks, but I am here. The weather is cold, and it is uh, definitely fall, finally. Joining me on the phone... All the way from Nashville, Tennessee, is uh, King Margot, uh, the, the the duo King Margot, is Luciana Costa and Rachel Coates. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for coming on. Um, we're going to jump right into the interview here. We're gonna. There's two of you, so we're, this is actually kind of the the first time I've ever done this uh, where, where I've planned it, where I've had a, an, a, sort of an entire uh, musical group on. Um, so we're going to interview you both individually, and we'll start with Luciana. So the first question uh, that I always start these interviews off with is, where were you born? I was born in Wheeling, West Virginia. Wheeling, West Virginia. I only lived in for a very short amount of time, and it's fun to say that I was born there because I left when I was about three. Oh, okay. Yeah, that uh, coal country there. So you don't have any memory of that place then, I would assume. I mean, I, I have some. There's a lot of like really old Super 8 tape footage of me living there, so I kind of remember what I've seen over like Christmas break more than anything. <laughs> hmm. Uh, so where did you go from Wheeling then after you turned three? Um, we went from Wheeling, West Virginia to Dublin, Ohio, which is just outside of Columbus. Okay. You're going to, this is funny because you want to know where I was born, Dublin, Ohio. And I moved from there and I lived there about two years too. So I have no memory of that. That is, that is so funny. Oh my God. You were born in Dublin, Ohio. I was, I was, I was born in Columbus, but my, my parents lived in Dublin at the time. They had a duplex there. Maybe maybe they ran in. Maybe we crossed paths on the street as uh, as as small children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. I was gonna say, do you remember? Uh, do you ever go to Scottish Corners Elementary? I I I have absolutely no memory of it. To be honest, I, I left there when I was two. I did a, so did a short stint there. Uh, <laughs> That's great. So how long were you in Dublin then? Uh we were there until I was probably uh, nine or so. I think I was still pretty young, but we were there for a few years. And then from there, did you come to Michigan? Yeah. So we went straight from Columbus to Ann Arbor, Michigan, Okay, which was hilarious. So you moved around a lot during grade school then? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So so what kind of a student were you? Um, I was actually kind of in and out of the public school system. So I started out in public school in Dublin, and then I read really early. Um, so I was a, like, just a super reader when I was really young. And <laughs> now I called them out, so I feel a little bad. I don't even know if they're still there. But at the, the elementary school I went to for a year, you, you weren't allowed to read above your grade level. Hmm. So if you were in the library with like, you know, kindergarten through fifth grade or whatever, if you were in kindergarten, you weren't allowed to like go into the second graders section and like get books. So to my, I, I, you know, that irritated me a lot when I was little. I was like, well, what the hell? Like, I want to go read that book over there. So I, I finished that year out and was kind of sort of like, just leaving class 
all the time when I was young and my teachers actually thought I had a medical issue. So they contacted my parents and they were like, Hey, does she have like stomach problems? Cause she says she has to go to the bathroom all the time. <laughs> and I was really just sneaking out of class and going to the bathroom and, and sneaking books from the library that I wasn't supposed to be reading. So after I came clean to my parents about that, they, they took the idea of homeschooling seriously, which I don't, think they'd ever considered doing before, to be honest, but my mom was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and there weren't a lot of options for in our area and for their current economic level for other like alternative education options. So they, they took the leap, and they decided to homeschool me for a few years. So after that, I was pretty much in and out. I'd homeschool for a couple of years and then go back to public school. I did Montessori school for a year, so I was kind of all over the place. That's a really unique uh, schooling uh, experience then because not most kids, it's one or the other, right? You either, you either stay in public yeah. school or go to private school or you're homeschooled. It's not a back and forth type so, thing. Exactly. Exactly. It was. It was, it was a really cool way to grow up. Um, what did uh, your dad do for a living or what does he do? I should say he is in construction. Um, so he's always been in the construction field. He, at the time he was working for different companies, uh, when I was little and doing contractor work. And then he actually ended up working for Coca-Cola for a really long time. He, he was building plants and repairing plants and, and doing security stuff for them. Um, and then he started his own contracting business. And I was probably, I was in high school, like middle of the way through high school. So he's been running his own, his own business since then. And are they still in Ann Arbor? Yeah. Yeah. He's still based out of Ann Arbor. All right. Um, well, you actually have a, a, a famous grandfather as well. Would you, do you mind telling <laughs> us about him? No, not at all. Not at all. He was, he was awesome. Uh, he unfortunately passed away when my dad was two. Right. He was so 31. I never got a chance to meet him. Um, but he had four kids, my dad and then his three sisters. So I have heard a lot of family lore and of course all the recordings are still out there. So that's kind of, I always felt like I got to get to know him was, was through listening to his recordings and he was a he was a jazz piano player and a vibraphone player and he actually he's the only person to ever win the Newport Jazz uh player of the year award on two different instruments on piano and vibraphone and he he always wanted to play piano and he picked up the vibraphones because his brother was also a fantastic musician and they'd been trying to get hired at this club in New York City for years and the club owner was just adamant that they have a vibes player. He was just like, I'm not hiring a band if they don't have vibes in it. Like, does anybody play vibes in your band? And, you know, they were like, well, we don't, we don't have anybody currently. He was like, well, call me when you have a vibes player. And Eddie left. Eddie was my grandfather. And he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. So they came back two weeks later and he just like ripped in front of this guy who just like took a solo and was amazing at it. And the guy was like, yeah, all right, you got a regular spot every week. So that's kind of <laughs> how he got into his second instrument. And he was known for, for his sight reading skills and his ability to just kind of take studio session work and know nothing about the situation and walk in and, and be able to just play it on the spot. So that was kind of his bread and butter was the New York city jazz scene in the late fifties and, really early 60s and then he died in 1962 so that was 
he was only 32. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, really... I Wikipedia'd him before uh, before we, we came on the air just as a little extra Did research. You know? What an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. By all accounts, he was just like a very spirit. I mean, that whole side of the family is very spirited anyways, Italian New Yorkers. But he loved baseball. He loved music. He loved his kids. That's what he was about. Well, so you grew up. You you were doing. You had a very unique uh, schooling experience. You were you were smarter than uh, than uh, a lot of the people that were in your age group. Um, you bounced around <laughs> a lot. You you moved around a lot. Um, so when did you first get into music? Then, and I mean, you had this grandfather who was you know who had been a successful musician. So that must have been pretty early on, I would assume. It was, yeah, yeah, it was for sure. Um, I was, I sang really young, like really young. So that was kind of, I'm sure there was an indication to my parents that that was going to be a thing that I was inclined to do just because I, you know, would get caught all the time. Like, is that your daughter over there singing in front of the milk aisle? And I'd be singing some like Disney song. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I guess it is. So I was really, really into singing from a very young age. And then when I was six, uh, my mom was like, well, we should probably get around the piano because we had pianos lying around the house. So I started taking lessons when I was around six years old on the, on the keys. And that was pretty much it just in, in and out of private lessons. Um, until I was around nine and then we moved to Ann Arbor and then I got into the piano pedagogy program at university of Michigan. So it was a little more hardcore classical stuff yeah. around that age. Well, you got in there so, when you were yeah, nine. It was definitely, uh, what's that? You got into that program when you were nine. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how hard it was to get in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they were, they were looking for young folks to kind of snatch up and, and get them started early. But yeah, I was pretty young. Still, that's the, I mean, University of Michigan to be doing anything at that age, you know, with a, with a organization like that. That's, I mean, that must've been, you said it was, you know, it was pretty hardcore. So. Yeah, it was, that was definitely the most rigorous sort of, I had, my parents had, had lied at one point when we were living in Columbus to get me into the Columbus Children's Choir. Uh, so the, there was like a minimum age. And I don't know, it was like second or eight or something. And I was five going on six. So they like <laughs> fudged the numbers. I'm like, yeah, she's fine. She can get in. So I had done that, which was, you know, it wasn't hardcore, but it was very formal. You know, it was like, you wear this and you stand here and, and you speak when you're spoken to. And, and that was kind of the beginning of my formal music training. But yeah, getting into the pedagogy program was like, oh, okay, all right, we're getting serious now. Well, um, there was another moment in your early life when you kind of uh, a sort of inspiring moment, and it involved writing a letter to a Dixie chick. Could you tell us that story? Yeah, absolutely. So I had sort of grown weary of the classical life at you know, I was very world weary at a very young age. <laughs> I had. Sort of, I was still taking lessons, but I wasn't super into it anymore. And I was, I was learning repertoire, but that was kind of, you know, my heart just wasn't really in it at that point. And I had tried several different instruments. So I tried fiddle, I got into drums, I sort of picked up guitar, but never had lessons on it. And I was just kind of like floating around aimlessly in my musical life. And I knew I loved music and I wanted to keep doing it, but I wasn't really connecting to anything so at, I was also starting to get into country music at that age. 
and I heard the Dixie Chicks song, uh, Give It Up or Let Me Go, which I think is the last track on Wide Open Spaces. It's on Wide Open Spaces, but it's towards the end, and there's this just ripping dobro solo, which at the time, I did not know what that instrument was because it was Michigan. <laughs> we didn't really have those around. So I just absolutely freaked out and, and was like, what is this? I have to know. I want to play it. It sounds so cool. And it just immediately sort of spoke to me. And my parents at that point were tired of buying me instruments <laughs> and finding me teachers and, and kind of going through the whole uh, flash in the pan situation that I'd been going through. So they were like, no, you know, you're done. You don't, you don't need another instrument. We've heard this story before. And I, you know, there's nothing more powerful than being told no <laughs> so, as a preteen. So I was like, okay, fine. So I went to, I don't know if you've ever been there, but Oz's Music in Ann Arbor. I've heard of it. I've never been there, but I've definitely heard of it. They were just like the great local shop at the time. They're still there and we go all the time. And they had the only Dobro in town hmm. at the time. So it was the only square neck resonator that was in Ann Arbor at the time. And it was a few hundred bucks. And I had, I had like a, a Christmas wreath selling business when I was a kid, just like a whole other story, but I had money. <laughs> so I like went in and brought my little, my little uh, checkbook in and bought this Dobro. And that, that was really it. That was the first time I, I really like genuinely connected to an instrument and, and wanted to keep playing it and wanted to learn it. So fast forward, like, not even two years, like a year, year and a half. And um, Emily Robinson, who is Emily Robinson Strayer now, I think of the Dixie Chicks, her husband, Charlie Robinson, is also a great singer songwriter. He's like a Texas guy and, and he's been around for a long time. And he was playing at the Ark in Ann Arbor. So we, you know, I went to the Ark all the time when I was a kid and it was just the spot that we would go to, but he was coming and uh, my little Dobro heart was like, oh, he, you know, he's, he might have a slide player. He's connected to her. She's my inspiration. Like, this is really cool. So I was 13. Um, and I wrote Emily a letter just with my story, basically saying thank you. And, you know, I was very deeply grateful to her for, for being, you know, not only introducing this instrument into my life, but also just being, a, you know, badass woman multi-instrumentalist who was out there and and was sort of representing the the playing side of it as much as the singing side which I didn't have a lot of influence at that time um so I wrote her a letter saying all of that it's just like a one-page 13-year-old letter um and we went to the show and befriended the slide player at Charlie's show so he did actually have a dobro and a pedal steel guitarist with him named Kim Deshawn who's amazing he's just a great player so we made friends with him before the show and he kind of brought us backstage after because, you know, cute kid with a dobro. <laughs> it's like, you know, she she brought her slide guitar and uh, and I gave Charlie the letter and was like, you know, here you go. If you can pass this on to Emily, that'd be great. If not, I understand. Like, it's, it's no big deal. It's whatever. <laughs> this was like, uh, I guess, really early, probably 2001. So we only, there were no cell phones. We only had a landline at home, but I had included our landline number. So I had no idea what was going to come of it, but we got home after the show at like 
10, 1030 at night or something. And the phone rang at like 1045. <laughs> it was Emily Robinson of the Dixie Chicks calling. <laughs> I guess he'd read her the letter over the phone and, and she called my my parents' landline just to talk for like 15 minutes or so. So it was, it was really amazing. I look back on that and like, man, she was so cool to have done that for a little kid musician. Yeah. Well, what did you guys talk about? Um, you know, I, I blacked out. <laughs> for sure. Um, I do remember, I, I remember trying, trying, making sure I, I sounded cool, which meant not talking very much. <laughs> we just, you know, I thanked her a lot and, and she kind of asked you very sweet questions about how long I'd been playing and what kind of dobro I had and very specific questions about the dobro of like, what kind of tuning did I like to use? And then, you know, the one really vivid memory I have of it was her saying at the end, she was just like, don't ever quit. <laughs> which, you know, at times later haunted me, but also inspired me and kind of kept me on track at, at various points. So it was just a really sweet, you know, it was, it was quick, but it was very sweet. Well, so when did you start writing your own music then? Um, late high school, actually. So around senior year of high school. So it was, it was something I'd always wanted to do and I'd been playing a bunch, but I never really figured out kind of how I wanted to do it until until around then. Yeah, well, that's really interesting because you said you, I mean, having been at it for, I mean, about a, a decade, you know, at that point, over a decade, yeah. it, it, you know, it's, it, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's interesting that you never, uh, you never made an attempt at it until you were, you, you were never sure of enough of yourself to do it until you were that age. Yeah, you know, it was, and I was a writer. I mean, I wrote all the time. I wrote, you know, I look back now, it's like, that's shit I couldn't do now. It was like, I was writing 100 page you know, novels <laughs> at, at 12, like I love to write, but there was something about the connection of, of putting words and the way I like to use them to music. It just, I did try. I wrote some really awful songs <laughs> back in the day, but I was, you know, I played so much music. I think part of it was I had been, playing in a band since I was 13 and, and, you know, kind of getting this amazing musical education and, and learning all these great songs. But, you know, my, my, I was connecting to the fact that the songs I was writing because I was a young green undeveloped songwriter were just nowhere on the same level <laughs> as these songs that we were covering at night in, in bars. And it was just, you know, to me, it was an instantaneous, like, well, that's not ready to, see the light of day so we'll go back and we'll try again later but yeah it was an interesting journey for sure but so then you were uh, pretty much just on the ann arbor music scene then right and making a name for yourself as a solo artist after you started uh, writing yeah. out songs i mean i played i played in a band uh, called smithville and then a band called uses for woods so my early ann arbor music scene experiences were i was playing slide guitar and and singing and it was me and and a couple one of them was a student at u of m at the time and then a couple of of guys that had played around town for a long time so i was really getting this often sort of thrown into the fire musical education through them and then i didn't i didn't start doing my own solo thing until around the time i started writing so i was, I was about 18 at that point okay um so uh when did you move to nashville then 
I know we're jumping ahead so quite I, a bit, but uh, we, I want to get to Rachel's uh, individual story too before we talk about uh, King Margot. So. Yeah, totally. And there's too many places I lived in between, so it would take us. <laughs> it would take us all T- night. Take us the rest uh, of the hour. Yeah. About two years ago, and so it's two years and and a couple weeks ago. So not that long. Not that long. No, not really. All right. Um. Uh, is so is uh, is Rachel joined us? She is. What up? Hey, hey. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having us. You're um. Cool. So uh. I, uh, I'm going to basically, we're going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to ask you, uh, get pretty much the, the, the backstory on you the same way we just did, uh, with Luciana. Does that, uh, so, um, I'm going to, same question I'm starting off with, which is, uh, where were you born? Uh, I was born in Toledo, Ohio. Okay. Toledo. Um, and, uh, did you spend most, uh, sorry. Did I what? Uh, was this, did you spend most of your childhood there or did you move around a lot? Um, I actually stayed put. I was born in Toledo, raised in Sylvania, and graduated from Sylvania Southview High School. And then uh, fast forward slightly to college, I went to Bowling Green State University, which is just south of Toledo. That's right. I I, uh, spent about six months in Bowling Green for a job a couple years ago. Lovely, lovely town. I like the clock tower that they got there. Um, (laughs) It is awesome. Got a great (laughs) clock tower. Uh, What kind of a student were you? Um, I was mostly academic focused, uh, doing music education, but you know, everybody parties a little bit in college. So there's a little bit of that too. Um, what did uh, your parents do for a living? Both of my parents are, uh, working musicians. So my dad, uh, his name is Don Coates. He, uh, he plays in local bars around the area playing, guitar and piano and singing and he's like uh the local john lennon uh reincarnate <laughs> does My he look like him side, she, what's that does he look like john lennon a little bit yeah he if he if he wore glasses which he probably should um <laughs> he would look a lot more like him too <laughs> okay um so uh so you grew up in the toledo area or sylvania sylvania excuse me um and uh, your parents are musicians, so you must have started on your own music pretty early, too, then. I did. Um, I didn't really have any formal training on anything until I hit 11, but having instruments laying around all the time, I certainly taught myself all kinds of random things. Like, one of the first electric bass songs I learned was a Bush song. I forget which one it was, but just like yeah low bass frequencies are cool bush is awesome which in hindsight you know i feel differently now but (laughs) uh let's see and then uh in in fifth grade um my my grandma's a retired string teacher so she had access to all sorts of string instruments like violin and cello and upright bass and she's the reason i got started in orchestra playing on violin Okay, so you, both of you are multi instrumentalists, then. So that's that's really interesting um, that you're you're so well rounded. Uh, um, so besides Bush, what were some of the artists that in, inspired you uh, to to sort of start creating? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I liked Bush back then. Hey, you know, Bush has got Bush has got some good songs for that era. You know, they you know they, <laughs> they did their thing. 
They do. Um, I was big into Alanis Morissette, no doubt. Uh, had a really, really long Sarah McLaughlin phase. Um, Cheryl Crow was kind of like right alongside the Sarah McLaughlin phase too, which it was great because they played shows together all the time. So that was like a win-win. Um, and currently my, my all-time favorite artist is a different Sarah, but Sarah Bareilles. Ah, uh, Jesus Christ superstar. That's right. She did do that. <laughs> yeah, that was good stuff. I, I didn't know that she acted. That's really, I just knew her as the, the, uh, love song and, um, and brave, you know, from her hits basically. Um, but, uh, very oh, impressive. Uh, so let me see here. Uh, so when, when did you start writing your own music and tell, just kind of give us your, your musical background. Like did, when you started playing out, did you play in bands? Were you a solo artist? Like what, what, what happened there? Um, well, I kind of had uh, a little bit different experience because I, I got to play with my dad a lot when I was younger. Um, every so often in high school, I'd go hop out and try to plunk out some notes on the bass and feel like I knew what I was doing. Um, he was very kind that way in my earlier years. Uh, but I, I really shied away from playing live in bands until after kind of in the middle of my college years and realized I could actually make some side money doing it. Um, so it was then that I started playing with my dad a little bit more full time. Um, and then after college, I, I had my stab at an all chick rock and roll band. We were called Cheap Celebitants. And we were a four-piece with drums, me on electric bass, Carrie Langendurfer on guitar, and our friend Amanda Dugan on piano. But Chief Celebrity Contest, the chick band, was very short-lived, and we ended up consolidating it to Chief Celebs um, and then became only a female-fronted band as we ended up getting a different drummer who was not a lady. Um, and then from there, I, I moved into some other uh, cover band situations. I played with a group called Mosfina for a few years. Um, and it was right around that time in my late 20s playing with Mosfina that I decided I could use a, a palate cleanser and uh, resubmerge myself into the music community that I loved in college so much, so much, which is why I ended up moving down to Nashville. Okay. And you said that was in your late 20s when that happened? Yep. Okay. How long ago? I mean, not to, I, I, not to, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about your age or not, but I mean, how long, how long ago was that? <laughs> I, don't, I, I couldn't think of, I was like, fuck, I want to ask this, but how do I ask it without sounding like an asshole? So, but anyway. Totally fine. Um, I was staring at 30 coming and was like, I don't really want to turn 30 in Toledo. Why? What am I going to do about that? And I do not blame you. I made you. the decision. When I was like, 27 and a half going on 28 was like i'm gonna move to nashville before i turn 30 i don't want to turn 30 here so i did i moved in 2014 of 29 and so i've been here for four and a half years now oh so you're my age so there, there we go um yeah uh so, uh, so both of you ended up Nashville, ended up in Nashville relatively the same time. There were a couple of years off there, but so how did you two meet each other then? Um, it wasn't 
in Nashville, uh, but it was in between Nashville and Toledo. We had a, a mutual friend that pulled us in to play uh, in another project to kind of like fill in for people that were unable to play at the time. So it was a short stint of about a month or so. Um, and we really got to know each other well in that stretch because we ended up having to like carpool and ride with each other in the gigs uh, between Kentucky and we played in North Carolina and we played in, in uh, Nashville. And um, yeah, we're just like, wow, you know, after this, we should probably do something. And here we are. So how did King Margot start then? Like how was the, you, you kind of, you just talked about how you two met and how you, you, you know, recognized each other as, uh, you know, perhaps kindred spirits. So, but where did the, what was the moment when you guys were like, okay, here's the project and here's what it's going to sound like. And here's, we're going to start writing songs and, and all that. Hmm, I'll let you answer that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we started out as we named ourselves Dashville. So <laughs> we had, we've been through a name change in a very short amount of time. Um, we kind of were coming out of that summer and had just been playing around a little bit together and had sort of been discussing song concept ideas while we were out on the road together and, and didn't really have time to write stuff. And then uh, Rachel went back to Nashville and I went back to Michigan where I was kind of interim crashing at my parents' house <laughs> for a little while. Uh, and we sort of started working on songs from there. So I remember taking some of the seeds of things that we had talked about and, and sitting at my parents' house on the piano and, and coming up with different ideas for things that we had discussed. And it was really like the most organic sort of musical connection that I've ever had personally, where it was just like, well, this feels like a thing that I want to do, but also, you know, we came up with these ideas together and I can't wait to show her this and and I'm going to send like a verse and see what she thinks. So it kind of happened very naturally. And then uh, we decided to play some cover shows together up in Toledo kind of late that same summer. And, you know, we had no idea what we were doing together, but (laughs) we figured if we lugged out all the instruments, we know how to play and, and some charts, like we might be able to make it through a three hour gig. (laughs) (laughs) We stumbled our way through for those first early gigs. Um, Yeah. And then we eventually put the word out on Facebook that we needed somebody to name our band because we guessed at that point, maybe we were turning into a band. <laughs> so Rachel's uh, high school German teacher came out to a gig, Herr Knopf, shout out. He's great. <laughs> he uh, gave it, he, he came with a list of, of potential band names for us at like our, I don't know, third or fourth gig or mm-hmm. something like that. He came prepared. He did. He came very prepared. And, uh, and, and we got Bashville out of that. So that was our first iteration as as a duo, and we rocked that for until this past summer, actually. So also, yeah, we we just ended up making the name change this past July. And where did King Margot come from? That's not a Margot Price reference by any chance, is it? No, but it's fun that people think about. Yeah, I yeah. like that she's <laughs> invoked. Yeah. I think you know Nashville Margot. It's like the first thing that, that, at least for me, that comes into my head. So, but uh, but totally. so how, how did the name come about then? So there's a, a TV show um, called The Magicians that Luch and I quickly submerged and became obsessed with on <laughs> Netflix earlier this winter, 
uh, back in January, and we 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 not only binge watched like the first two seasons, uh, but we like went back and kept watching it again. And then we were blessed with the Sci-Fi Network coming out with season three, like right as we were ready for something new. Um, and, and Margo is one of the, the key characters in this show. It's just, just a bunch of postgraduate college kids that don't know what the crap they're doing, but have like an aptitude for magic. And then they get accepted into this um, hidden magic school that's in upstate New York. And it's just all the shenanigans and crazy messed up stuff that happens in their time that they're there. Um, but Margot's character has like the most uh, extreme character arc uh, by the time you hit the end of season three. And I don't want to give anything away, but like it, it's just, it's a really empowering name, the way that it all unfolds in the show. Wow, so it's a bunch of kids that go to magic school, huh? Are yeah. are you sure it's not <laughs> it's Harry not Potter? Because <laughs> it's really dark. It's like <laughs> R-rated Harry dark. Potter. Kinda, and it's very like self-aware and pop culture, and it's just this great. Like they're all a bunch of assholes that try and <laughs> fail, and then try again, and it's really entertaining. <laughs> Well, that's uh, somebody was going to do that sooner or later, right? The uh, the the yeah. ass the asshole Harry Potter show. <laughs> um. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Totally. totally. <laughs> that's great. It's been done. <laughs> um, so you guys, uh, you've you've got a full length coming out on uh, November sixteenth. It's called Barely Getting By. You recorded it in Nashville at uh, Traveling Dog Studios. Um, why don't you okay. tell us tell us about that? Yeah, so we uh, eventually, you know, we kind of never really stopped playing and and touring from, we met on the road and kind of have continually been on the road (laughs) pretty much since then. Um, So we we just took sort of a handful of of the songs we'd written and we did a demo for two of them around Christmas last year and release them. Um, and we work with Keith Hetrick, who was in Los Angeles, and now he moved out here about a year and a half ago or something. And he's an incredible Grammy-winning producer um, and songwriter himself. He's an amazing songwriter. So he has sort of become our third bandmate in that regard. And, and he does all our post-production engineering and mixing. Um, but we recorded it all ourselves. So we had this great space down at uh, Marathon Village in Nashville and really spent, I don't know, six months mm-hmm. kind of piecemeal recording these songs. It's it's 10 tracks. And so we'd record when we were in town uh, and Rachel tours with another artist named Seth Glear. So she'd be out of town and I'd work on a drum part and send it to her. And then she'd come back in town and we'd do we'd cut a vocal and then we'd both leave. So it was kind of this, this long extended process of recording, which actually ended up being really cool. Cause one, it gave us perspective as opposed to like the last couple of records I did. I totally love doing, but it's a very different, like, okay, we have the studio books for this couple week period. So we're going to go in, we're going to bang it out and, and get it done, which is cool in its own way. But this was a very different, experience of sort of getting some perspective on the songs and letting them breathe while we were recording them 
Um, so it took about six months, and then we we got in the studio with Keith and did all the post production work over the last month or so, really. And uh, yeah, they're they're supposed to be here on Friday. So <laughs> drum roll. Yeah, exactly. We we've heard all the all the final mixes, and they're they're amazing. But we're supposed to get the the physical copies this Friday, so we're super excited. Well, um, so you you actually uh, started a pledge music too. Uh, to help fund the uh, production costs of this. And uh, I, I went on the page, uh, and it looked like you guys were – it said 106% of your goal. So I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I assume that that's a good thing. Yes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that means we actually get to get the money to help pay for it, which is good. Um, so we set – it was a fairly modest budget. You know, we didn't really have too many overhead costs other than like the physical production of it itself, which is a good chunk of change. And um, the actual cost of hiring our buddy to do all this post-production work for us. Um, And then we had two friends that played tracks for us as well that we had to pay for. But, you know, most most records you don't make for under five thousand dollars. And uh, somehow we were able to whittle away most of the expenses um, and. Yeah, thanks to some really great friends and family support and uh, some some fans that we met on the road from playing with Seth here, there, and everywhere, um, we're able to pull off the fully funded, which is fantastic. Well, what do you guys got coming up in the in the uh, immediate future then? Because uh, I know you got some shows that you're going to be playing in Nashville and elsewhere, so uh, why don't you tell us about that? Well, uh, in the immediate future, let's see, we'll be... And we'll be playing a couple shows in Nashville on the 9th and the 10th. Yep. The 9th is at Neighbors in Sylvan Park, and the 10th is November November 10th at uh, Brew House West. And then November 21st, we're actually doing a, a CD release party in Toledo um, at a place called Bar 145 from 7 to 9 p.m., uh, which is really exciting because it's our baby and it's, you know, kind of the hometown where most of our folks come out to see us play at and uh, we're going to be more stoked about that. But then, <laughs> so <clears throat> this started sort of as a joke. Um, it was a, it was a, I don't know if we were drinking, but it was a late night discussion while probably drinking. And we were like, well, let's just apply for a cruise ship gig. Cause I gotten like an email that was like, oh, Hey, like we're looking for musicians. So, we made a list of 250 country songs like from the 90s that I had loved when I was a kid <laughs> that we knew and had heard. And uh, we sent it in with a couple of videos of us doing country covers at a bar gig that we'd had. And we're going to we're going to be playing on a carnival cruise ship for four months. <laughs> oh, my God. Over <laughs> the winter, no less, huh? What's that? Uh, over the over the winter, no less than if it's coming up. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's not hurricane season, and we will miss winter. <laughs> oh my so god! That's, yeah, that's gonna gonna eat up the next half a year, pretty much. So jealous. How how many Dixie Chick songs are on that list? <laughs> a lot, actually. <laughs> uh, it's growing too. We're more it is totally. Yeah, there'll be a lot of that for sure. <laughs> but it's also cool because they're they're very they were encouraging of we get to play our own original music as well and like bring our CDs and and we keep calling it it's like 
a really great opportunity to tour where we don't have to drive places and spend gas money. Right. Yeah. So it's, it'll be interesting. Well, so you both are, are musicians for a living then you've, you've never, have you ever had day jobs or is it kind of like a take it when you need it sort of thing or how does that work? Day job. Um, I, I teach private lessons. So that's like my other thing that I do during the week. Actually, Luch does too. Um, but as far as like a nine to five or thing goes, no, no, I worked at a bar. <laughs> I worked at a couple bars. <laughs> well, so, so in Does terms of, in terms of like making music for a living, both, you know, cause a lot of people, you know, I, I just had a, a singer songwriter on a couple weeks ago and she was talking about like, she does music for a living too, but a lot of it is like composition type stuff. And it's, it's, she's making music, but it's not like she's just singing her own songs. And so it seems like you got to compromise a lot. She compared it to be, what the hell is such a great line too. It was like, you work, you're an author, but you spend your time reading someone else's books or something like that out loud. I don't know. She said it better than that, but, uh, um, so what was the thing that surprised you guys the most, I guess, about, about just the hustle of, of being a musician, of, of being a working musician? Hmm. That's a great question. Hmm. I'll let you answer first. I feel like we're very different. <laughs> um, you know, I think, and this is probably, I think you can apply this to, to life or just about anything, but the more you stick with something and the more you, you care about the integrity of the product and you just, you, you have fun while you do it, the better you get. So if you stick with it, hmm. it's going to get better and better. Yeah. I like that. Until you get like really old, I suppose. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's not even true. Cause Willie's still crushing it. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, it, honestly, my answer is kind of related to that where it's, you know, at the time, it was born out of necessity, but the surprising twists and turns and sort of elements and things that you pick up along the way of just saying yes to everything by being a musician. I mean, I said yes to stuff in my 20s that I never, and, and it wasn't all directly related to music necessarily. Like I did concert photography for a while and, and writing, like doing music reviews and stuff like that. But I genuinely loved doing all of that and, and the perspective it gives you of, of saying yes to different things, even if you don't know how to do them. You also learn how to like get your shit together very quickly. Uh-huh. I think when you're, when you're sort of uh, throwing yourself around and, and, you know, being willing to, I don't want to say sacrifice. I don't feel like I really ever sacrificed much because I was doing what I wanted to do, but you're, you're trading an uncertainty at least that's how I felt an uncertainty with, you know, I watched, I didn't even go to college. I went to college for a couple of years, like a decade apart. <laughs> and like you know, I was watching all of my friends kind of figure out their lives and, and know what they were doing, which the joke was on all of us because nobody knew what they were doing. And we all kind of figured that out eventually, but you know, the sacrifice of, of feeling like you don't have a worn path or that there's this kind of like well-lit path that you can go down and, and you're trying to figure it out for yourself. But it's it's really enlightening and it's really lovely in, in most ways for sort of getting into the excitement of life <laughs> and what it can offer. Well, so it sounds like pretty much, you know, just, just don't be above something. 
you know, like you say, oh, concert photography. Well, I'm a musician. I don't do that. No, no, no. It's like, no, I'm still in the right. in the in the building, right? right? A lot of people focus that way, though, and it doesn't help them out at all. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I mean, it was close enough. It wasn't like, hey, try accounting. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> like, hey, go to a bunch of free, awesome shows. Right. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> well, because the the reason I asked that, and I don't I don't talk about this on the air a whole lot, but like I do all sorts of of like extra shit. You know, I, I have my nine to five. It's a six to two actually, um, and I really wish I didn't need it, uh, but because it's just like. <laughs> Some days you just go in there and you're just like I like you you the older you get the more valuable you realize your time is, you know? Yeah. And so you're just like I I'm not using my time in a way that uh that I want to right now. I mean, yeah, you have to I mean, you said earlier, you know, sacrifice, you know, sometimes sacrifice is necessary and sometimes your time is what you sacrifice. But um yeah. you know, it's just it's it's interesting because every like you said there's not really a path you know, and I think that might have been yeah. my problem is I thought that there was going to be this path because up until I was out of college, that's how it was for me. It was just you go to school, then totally. you go to college and then you get out of college and you do what you what you want to do. And that is yeah. I mean, that's the great millennial lie right there. You know, that was the, yeah. the totally. our yeah. our whole generation was kind of sold on that uh, on that uh, premise. And um, it really is just about figuring it out as you go along you're laying the tracks down and the train's right behind you uh and yep. and so <laughs> that, well said <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so so that, i mean yeah so that, i guess what i was getting at with that is is um it's it's just it's really cool like i, I gotta say uh luciana i i first heard of you you were on uh john bomarito's acoustic brunch um oh, it was a long yeah. time ago do you remember that Oh, I do. I remember doing the Ben Folds cover of Narcolepsy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then I remember you, that's, yep. <laughs> you you uh, did an original and it was about, um, it was like a love song or something like that. And I remember John yeah. thought it was a breakup song or something. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting inter- interpretation. <laughs> There's just kind of this pause when he said that. But uh, <laughs> But yeah, so I was like, because I remember you were on there, and this was, I mean, God, this was like 20, 2009, 2010. It was a while ago. Yeah. And um, yeah. I remember him asking you, you know, hey, you know, so do you, what are your plans? You know, what do you have? Because you were, you were in your early 20s at the time. And, uh, right. And you were like, I'm doing this. This is what I'm, this is what I'm doing, you know, just flat out. And I remember also, I, I mentioned before uh, we were on the air, um, I had a, a a guy who's a drummer down in Nashville, Graham Beckler. He was on back in, in March, and he uh, told mentioned on the air that uh, when he started doing music, he didn't have a backup plan. He said, because if I had a backup plan, mm. then I would just automatically fall into the backup plan. I didn't want a backup plan. I just wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, so it's really, you know, so uh, when when you said that, when you were like, oh, this is what I want to do, and here you are, you know, 10 years later almost and you've been doing it it's nice to see that that is 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 totally possible you know what i mean to- yeah totally well you know that's that's really cool to hear because there were definitely you know it, then you moved to los angeles and it all goes to hell yeah so there were definitely some, some darker times in between those 10 years of of really questioning everything and and 
you know, not always having the gravity of that. I I do. I mean, this may not be true for everybody, but I do think there's some like advantage of youth when you're just kind of like, no, this is my destiny. Mm-hmm. Like this is what I was put on this planet to do and I'm going to do it. And then you hit like 23 and you're spending three hours in traffic in LA trying to like go teach a music lesson. You're just like, was this my destiny? <laughs> like, this is what I was really supposed to be doing. So <laughs> I do feel like in a lot of ways it has come full circle since then, but <laughs> yes, that's, not always easy, but yeah, no, I, I feel very grateful for sure to still be doing it. Well, that's a, there, there's a question for the, that you can both individually answer. Like what was a moment where you, or did you even have a moment where you were stuck in LA traffic or, or, or just stuck in Toledo and you were like, I don't know if I can do this. Like maybe this isn't my destiny. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to be practical here and, and, uh, and try and mm-hmm. find a nine to five or something like that. Did and you can both answer that individually. Oh, sure. You have, you definitely have plenty of moments where you're like, did I sign up for this? Like I, I remember playing with Masvina, uh, which is like a power cover band trio um, in downtown Toledo at a bar and everybody was having a great time. And I, you know, I've got one of those cool little like swirly gig things that you put on your mic stand. You're, you can set your beer, you're drinking it. Like it's, it's great technology. You know, your beverage is right there. And I, I just took a sip of my beer. It was like more than three quarters full. And this really drunk weirdo guy comes right up to my mic stand. He looks me square in the eye and I'm like, what's up, man? How you doing? And he's like, yeah. And he leans over towards my beer. And he spits in it. Oh, my God. (laughs) He looked me square in the eye and he spit in my beer. And I was like, this guy's got to go. And what the crap is this? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was it was one of those moments. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this shit. Was he? what, What was his problem? Was he just drunk? Was he like, was that his like, did he hate the performance that much? Like what what exactly was going on? Do you think? We didn't do a Q&A after the fact. I wish we had. I think he was just really drunk, really stupid. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jesus, fuck. For spitting in my beer, sir. <laughs> Did you throw your beer in his face? Because that would have been my reaction. It's like, oh, here. This, you know, one, one hundredth of this is yours, so I'm going to give it back to you. my instruments and shit in my hand there would have been people behind him that would have also been douched by the beer so uh, i weighed my pros on that i decided to stop playing and have him like publicly escorted outside of the bar i did yeah, yeah. it did escalate a little bit but he left oh man yeah that's a way better story than anything i would have lined up and I was like well 
you know, if worse comes to worse, and I blow through all my savings, like, I'll just become a professional coffee barista. <laughs> I'll go get a job at Starbucks. They got some benefits. Like, it'll be fun. That's true. They go. But that never happened. So, hooray. Knock yeah. on wood. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. My only, I thought I was going to become a, like, child behavioral psychologist there for a while. That was my, my real stint in, like, Oh, that and I was going to I was going to be a wind turbine like repair man lady <laughs> where you like climb the towers and and clean the blades of, of wind turbines. Oh, my Lord. So been. you're not scared of heights then, huh? No, I love them. Oh, my God. <laughs> we both rock climb all the time. So that's why I thought I'd, I'd be it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I uh, at at my job I have to go up. We have these giant presses and there are stairs that are kind of they're like they're metal stairs and they're supported by this one very thin beam and they're they're a good 40 feet up in the air. You have to walk up these these narrow metal oh, wow. stairs to get to the top of the press where the you do repairs and things. And it's like torture for me to have to go up there. It's oh, it really? is just yeah, it's like one of those things like where I I get up to a certain height and my body is just like what are you doing? Stop. Stop! Yeah. And yeah. and and I have to just like center myself and just and keep walking until I'm in the press. And then once I'm in the press, I can I'm okay. But uh, but yeah, so I do not do heights. So I will never be a wind turbine uh, repairman. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad that you're doing this instead. <laughs> this is uh, I think this suits you better yeah, anyway. I know. Um, so yeah, uh, is there anything else you guys want to, uh, uh, promote or uh, mention before we uh, wrap this up here? Um, I think probably just the CD release party. Cause like you're in Detroit, right? Yep. Are you doing this out of Detroit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, I wish we could be there. We could almost have done it live if it were on a weekend, but we'll be in Toledo and, and also hanging out in Ann Arbor around Thanksgiving. So November 21st from 7 to 9 p.m. at bar 145 is the the epic barely getting by CD release party. So we're going to do like a giveaway and have all kinds of cool. They're doing like a custom drink menu for us, which has been really fun to figure out how to like make puns out of our song titles and relate them to alcohol. <laughs> what, day, what day of the week is that, the 21st? It's a it's a Wednesday. It's the day before Thanksgiving, so it's bar party night central. Oh, okay, yeah, I may I do yeah. my shows on Wednesday nights. I gotta say, but if I I may not have a show that night because it's so close to the holiday. If I don't have the show, then I will definitely try and come down to Toledo because I got a friend who's staying down there now anyway that I don't get to see that often. So okay. me and him can come and uh, cool. and we promise not to spit in your beer. So um. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so king margo uh luciana costa and rachel Coates, thank you so much for coming on this is it's been great talking to you thank you so much this has really been fun heck yeah yeah well we'll uh we'll see you out there and um good luck with the the uh the new album and good luck with the the fucking cruise and uh and all the and, and the the paradise that you're going to be experiencing while the rest of us freeze our asses up up here i heard that it's going to be uh, like an uh, abnormally cold winter, and it'll start snowing in November. So you guys picked a perfect winter to do this. Damn, well, uh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, so so there you go. Yeah, for real. I'm on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> 
we'll check in in like four months and we'll, it'll be a totally different podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, anyway, um, that, that'll do it for us. Uh, if you guys uh, stay on the line, I'll give you a proper goodbye once we're off the air. Um, but uh, awesome. thanks again for coming on and, um, and good luck with everything. Uh, and uh, this has been American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. I will be back uh, next week. I have some, I finally got uh, Kevin Wesley Williams uh, to come back on. He is uh, going to finally regale us with all of his stories of touring with Megadeth and Marilyn Manson and all the rest of those guys. So he literally just confirmed before I went on the air. So really looking forward to well, talking to him. Aaron GTV, who has also been here numerous times, will also be uh, beyond. So next Wednesday, October 24th. Um, Uh, We will see you then. So once again, American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. Everybody have a great week.